Hey everyone, I'm Stephanie, host and head bookologist here at the Get Literate Podcast. I'm a book-loving, notebook-cording reader and writer on a mission to change lives one book and one notebook at a time. On this podcast, we explore the power of bookology and leading literate lives. We talk all things books and reading and notebooks and writing mixed in with mindful practices and creativity to create lives we love. You can expect regular weekly episodes focused on three books you need to know about on a bookish theme and how to bring those themes to life in our actual lives too. You can also expect author interviews, notebooking inspiration, and topics to help us grow through what we go through and take inspired action to make our lives better. So grab a notebook and your TBR list and let's get literate. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Get Literate Podcasts. You know, when I think back on our episode schedule for the last couple of weeks, I am just so honored and thrilled to have such amazing guests on recently. We've had Sarah Hart Unger on to talk about the pleasure and power of planning. We've had Alora Maxwell on to talk about her debut novel, The Shore of Forever. Carrie Wilt, the great-great-granddaughter of Francis Hodgson Burnett, author of The Secret Garden, was here to talk all things Secret Garden and her special journaling method. And Donna Fields was on to talk about the power of fairy tales to act as life coaching tools. I am so honored to have been able to have conversations with these amazing people because I love making these new connections. I love building my literate community and every single one of them have brought a richness to my literate life that wasn't there before. Hopefully it's done the same for yours. But today I am here with a solo episode to talk about a concept I've been growing and researching and developing and practicing. And I wanna share it with you today. And that idea is restorative reading and writing. Now, in order to explain what the concept of restorative reading and restorative writing is, I feel like I need to go back to the beginning. I need to let you know how and why reading and writing matters so much to me. So I'm actually going to read you my literate manifesto. This is kind of a philosophy statement, a where I've been kind of document that I have on my website so that others can get to know me better and get to know the work that I do. And I feel like this is the time to read it out loud so that everyone can get a little bit more backstory about who I am and why I'm here every week talking about reading and writing. So here we go. This is my literate manifesto. When I look back on my history as a reader, I am drawn to the stories that taught me what reading is and why it matters in my life. While I don't have strong memories of being read to as a child, I do have vivid memories of the books I was surrounded by. One of those books was The Monster at the End of This Book by John Stone. I distinctly remember sitting with this book, feeling amazed that Grover was talking to me, inviting, even daring me to join him in the pages of the book. 
For those that aren't familiar with the book, it's told as a first-person narrative. Grover speaks directly to the reader, begging for help to avoid the monster and giving orders that readers ultimately disobey, much to his dismay. Early on, I learned that reading was a transaction, a lived experience with active participation and control over the fate of the story, a lesson that would impact the trajectory of my reading life. Armed with the expectation that reading would always, always be a highly experiential and personal act, I approached books as though they were pieces of my life, and I devoured them throughout my childhood. Books like Ramona Quimby and The Mouse and the Motorcycle by Beverly Clearly, Number the Stars by Lois Lowry, and of course, The Babysitter's Club by Anne M. Martin were dog-eared and well-loved. But I never knew just how much power they held until I became quite sick as a teenager. I spent months years, essentially, in bed, weeks in the hospital, and years out of school. Books became my lifeline. They brought me the friendships I'd lost when I was sick, the experiences I'd missed while I was stuck at home, and the possibility of a future that was better than my present. They gave me access to a world that was bigger than my own. But it was more than that. They gave me hope. The novels I read taught me how to act like a proper teenager, even if I couldn't carry those actions out. The poetry I read gave me an escape from the pain and frustration of a chronic illness. The nonfiction, health, and personal development texts armed me with information and gave me the strategies I needed to make myself well again. Eventually, I did, and my reading shifted. It shifted from a desperation to live life through the pages of a book to an imagination for what was possible for my actual future. Books shifted from tools to escape my current reality to tools that helped me grow into it, following me into young adulthood and eventually motherhood too. When my young daughter faced a difficult situation on the bus, I shared what Junie B did during her difficult bus situation. When my son and I were driving through a particularly harsh storm, I compared our experience to Dexter's and Lauren Tarshish's I Survived the Joplin Tornado. When I needed a symbol to remind myself and my family of what we were capable of, I chose the octopus, just as Zoe did in Anne Braden's The Benefits of Being an Octopus. Books were my friends, books were my escapes, and books were my teaching tools. And fortunately, they'd become my lifeline once again. As my illness as a teenager returned in a new form in my 40s, I found myself once again feeling like a lost child who felt sick, felt tired, and felt like giving up. So I did the only thing I knew to do to bring a small sliver of control to my situation. I read books. No, I devoured books like I never had before. But this was different. This time, I had a history with how books could heal. This time, I knew how to look for the lessons in the pages of the book and capture them. This time, I knew I wasn't just reading to soothe. Reading didn't just soothe me and bring comfort, but ultimately, it brought me good health. It wasn't just that, though. It was the rituals and the routines, too. Back when I was sick as a teenager, I mustered up the energy for my most favorite excursion, 
the weekend trip to my local library with my dad and younger brother. We'd talk in the car, check out stacks of books, DVDs for my little brother, and end up at a local cafe that served the most delicious sourdough bread slathered with butter and bright strawberry jam. Books paired with comfort were healing. And when I was in the hospital too sick to read by myself, my home tutor would visit me at lunchtime to read aloud so I could reconnect with the characters that had become my only friends. Books paired with connection were healing. Later, a bit more bright-eyed, I'd learn the power of annotation, of marginalia, and of hundreds of sticky notes to mark my thinking so the book could make its mark on my life. Books paired with action were healing. Books weren't just for reading, they were for living. Defined simply, bibliotherapy is the act of using books and literature to improve our lives through the lessons learned in the pages of a book. Essentially, we can use books to grow through what we go through. All we need is a bit of introspection, the right books, a few mindful tools, and a willingness to shift. As I approached this here we go again stage in my life, once again tackling a chronic illness that knocked me down, I leaned into books to help me grow through what I was going through. And yes, I still am. Books like Broken in the Best Possible Way by Jenny Lawson and Between Two Kingdoms, A Memoir of a Life Interrupted by Suleika Jawad gave me the empathy and inspiration I needed from others who succeeded in going through hard health challenges. Characters like Olive from Natalie Floyd's Hummingbird and Joe from Bubble, written by Stuart Foster, reminded me that others were fighting battles harder than mine. And since these characters were children, they spoke directly to my inner child who still needed some healing too. I also explored research and science to explain what was going on inside of my body and mind. Books like The Autoimmune Solution by Amy Myers and Dr. Amon's you Happier explained why I was feeling what I was feeling and gave concrete strategies for how to help myself feel better. Now, I'm not saying that simply picking up a book and reading it will make your life better. <laughs> well, actually, that's exactly what I'm saying. Picking up a book, actively reading to glean lessons for your own life, mixing in a few notebooks to plan and track your progress and take action will. They may not cure what ails you, but they can help you cope with it and grow through it. From the physical, mental, and cognitive benefits that come simply through the act of reading to the emotional benefits that come through a careful exploration of how to connect what we find inside the pages of a book to our actual lives, reading just might be what saves you. I know because it's still saving me. There you have it. That is my literate manifesto. That gives you the backstory of how and why books and reading and notebooks and writing have become critically important to me in all ages and stages in my life. And I want to talk now about where that journey has gotten me to. What I am focusing on now is I learn how to use books and reading to make life better again, and not just to battle a chronic illness, but to just make life better to make life better. 
And the ideas that I've really been exploring, and as I mentioned, researching and practicing and learning about and talking about, is this idea of restorative reading and writing. Reading can restore us. Writing can restore us. And when we pair them with practices and rituals and routines, like I mentioned I did growing up, magic can happen, truly. So that's what I want to get into. Let's talk a little bit more about what I've been doing lately, which is practicing restorative reading and writing. So first, what is it? Well, first, let's look at the word restorative. Typically defined, anything that is restorative serves to restore us in some way, whether that's restore us to consciousness, to vigor, to health, to wellness, to happiness, whatever it is, it's something that restores us to a better state of being than we currently are. And there's all sorts of restorative practices. You've likely heard of restorative movement, restorative yoga, restorative meditation, even restorative art and creativity. So if we use that definition of what restorative practices are, we can think of restorative reading and writing as a particular kind of reading and writing that brings us wellness and happiness. Just like yoga has a traditional yoga practice, and yoga also has a restorative yoga practice, reading and writing can too. So restorative reading and restorative writing, it's a special kind of reading and writing that soothes our body like literally soothes our physical body. It sparks our mind in whatever way we want it to. And it harnesses the power of the page, whether that's a book or a notebook, to make life better. Now, this isn't to say that any old reading is now out the window, right? Any kind of reading and writing you do is going to bring you benefits. It's going to bring you physical benefits like calming your heart rate and soothing your sympathetic nervous system. It's going to bring you cognitive benefits like building vocabulary and keeping your brain sharp. It's also gonna bring you emotional benefits like boosting happiness, decreasing depression, and building empathy. We know those benefits of reading come with just six minutes of reading. It only takes six minutes to start those beautiful effects. So all reading counts. I love to show up early to when I pick my kids up from their sports practice to sneak in reading. I will read for three minute clips in the doctor's office just to sneak reading in. All of that matters and it adds up and it's cumulative. But Restorative reading and writing is a special kind of reading that harnesses the power of those benefits in different, more intense ways, right? So that's the kind of reading that I want to talk about. And how do I know it? Well, because I'm doing it. I am doing it and I am a living, breathing example of how it works. You know, I talked about my literate manifesto and how that connected with my personal challenges that I'm experiencing. And I've really dove into the research. How does reading and writing help us to be better, feel better, make the world a better place? But what else is needed, right? I can't just pick up a book 
and solve all my problems. I need to take action. I can't just write things down and then not do anything about it in my actual life. So I've been blending my research that I've been doing for my entire career on reading and writing with other aspects like meditation, breath work, acupuncture, functional nutrition, uh, mindfulness, all of those other things combined enhance the effects of reading and writing. Now, if you've listened to earlier episodes, you know that I've made up a couple of terms around this fascinating area of study, and I call it bookology, the study of books and reading, notebooks and writing mixed with mindfulness and creativity to make life better. And yes, that means I'm the bookologist, the person who is doing the work and creating the experiences and living by example to bring these ideas to you. So when I talk about restorative reading and writing, I am talking about a particular way of writing, a particular kind of reading. And there's three things that set restorative reading and writing apart from the rest. And that's what I want to talk about next. So the very first thing that sets apart restorative reading and writing is the experience. It's the nature of the setting. It's the mood of the surroundings. And it's your presence in the experience. So while reading in three-minute clips in the doctor's office is a good thing, it's not necessarily going to bring you the restorative reading nutrients that you need in order to feel better. So we need to think about where and when and how we are reading and writing and the feelings that it conjures up. Why do we have to do that? Well, because we need to signal to our nervous system that it is time to slow down. It is time to relax, to decompress, to breathe, and to give your body a chance for more than six minutes, hopefully, to stay in that calm state. So the ritual of getting ready for the reading or writing acts as that signal to your nervous system to calm the heck down and enjoy what's to come. Now, how do you do that? It doesn't take anything special. You don't need a special reading room, although that would be lovely. Um, You don't need any special materials although you can buy whatever you want to support your reading and writing life, you have my permission. All you need to do is think about your five senses. And I've learned a lot from Gretchen Rubin on the power of five senses, and it fits beautifully with this concept of restorative reading and writing. So simple things like just clearing the room you're in of clutter, of going to a place in your home that you enjoy because you like the colors or the art on the wall or the feeling it evokes. My favorite is lighting a candle or turning on the diffuser and putting in your favorite essential oil. It might be playing your preferred background noise. So maybe you're putting on classical music, maybe you're putting on a white noise machine, Or maybe you're going on YouTube and getting an ASMR room and playing the sounds of your favorite local bookstore. It might even be pouring the cup of coffee, getting the cup of tea, getting your favorite snack, or putting these special fluffy socks on that make you comfortable while you read and while you write. There is no one right way to turn a reading and writing habit into a ritual. It's just the small changes that you can make because you want to. 
and they signal to your nervous system, it's time to slow down, to relax, to read, and to write. And it just elevates your enjoyment of the entire experience. If you do those things, you signal your nervous system to calm down, you are more likely to stay in that state because you've taken the time to set the ritual and to ease into it. And that's important too. In order for something to be restorative, we need to give it enough time, right? Talk about in yoga, let the nutrients of your practice seep in. Let the words of your book seep in. Let the words of your notebook seep in. So restorative reading is a dedicated section of time with a ritual to signal it's starting. Now you decide how much. If you only have six minutes, take your six minutes. But if you could stretch it to 10 or 15 or put your phone down and stop scrolling and stretch it to 20 and 30, you are going to get so much more out of your reading session because you took the time. So that's the first step. Pay attention to your surroundings, turn reading and writing into a ritual and signal to your nervous system that it is time to calm down. Now, step two. Step two is about setting a specific intention. So if I go back to the yoga example, regular yoga, or I guess I should say vinyasa yoga, has a particular set of poses and flows that you work through in a class. Restorative yoga is much different. They are an entirely different set of poses that you don't necessarily power through, but you relax into onto the mat. So just as yoga has a different intention and a different set of practices for the different kinds of yoga classes, so does restorative reading and writing. The kinds of books we read and how we read them matter. The kinds of notebooks we keep and the ways we write in them matter. We have to have a personal intention so that we are ensuring we're getting out of our reading and writing life what we want to get out of it. And this is where we can have a little fun. This is where we create personal book apothecaries and personal notebook apothecaries. Doesn't that just sound fun? It's just so much fun. Basically, an apothecary is a collection of potions and notions and things that make you feel well. So a book apothecary is a collection of books that is especially designed for what you need to read right now. And a notebook apothecary is a specially curated set of notebook or journaling prompts for what you need right now too. So if we think about the idea of personal book and notebook apothecaries, we can set an intention for our reading and writing lives to help us get out of it what we want to get out of it. So for example, if you're a new mom, your personal book apothecary might include nonfiction books on raising children, memoirs on motherhood, personal essay collections on this new life season you're in, and maybe even fiction novels featuring moms as the main character. But if on the flip side, you're not a new mother, and instead you're going through a health crisis, your personal book apothecary is going to look different. It might have inspirational poetry to carry you through tough times. 
It could have a stack of fiction novels featuring characters facing that same health crisis so that you can go through it with someone. And you might even have nonfiction texts that are focused on personal development and health and the power of our bodies to heal themselves. Your book apothecary is dependent on you and what you're going through and what you want to grow through or just where you want to grow, not necessarily having to beat a challenge or a complexity, but just moving in the direction that you want to. Your notebook apothecary is the same. So if we go back to that new mother example, your notebook might be full of anecdotes from the day that you don't want to forget. You might decide to keep a five-year journal and bring one piece of the day that you love into that notebook. Or maybe your notebook turns functional and you start tracking your new baby's sleep rhythms and eating rhythms and all of the things that you are obsessed about when you first have that little newborn at home. If you go back to the other example and you're going through a health crisis, then your journal is gonna look very different. You might have a wellness notebook where you're tracking how you feel, what your pain is like, what you ate and how you felt as a result, trying to find triggers, trying to find common themes that you can then make better. Or maybe you dive deep into a gratitude journal because you're feeling awfully negative about what you're going through and you need to change that mindset. So you have a gratitude journal where you write three things that you are grateful for in the last 24 hours. And every morning you imagine those things and you live into them and you feel that gratitude. Or maybe it's an affirmation journal where every day you write one or two or three or however many affirmations you need in order to start the day out right. The kinds of reading and the kinds of writing we do matter. And it depends on where we are and the season we're in. And yes, it changes. What I need now from my reading and writing life might not be, actually will not be, what I need from my reading and writing life in a year from now. And the same goes for you. Now, the kinds of reading and writing that we do will depend on the stage we're in, but also how we read and write needs to change based on our intention, right? When we read with the idea to restore ourselves in whatever way we need restoring, we need to expect that that book is going to do that for us. We need to have an open mind, an open heart. We need sticky notes or annotation tools or a book journal or book darts or something that can help us to look for and track what we're learning in the book so that we can make those changes in our actual life. When we are showing up to our notebook in a restorative reading session, we are all in. We are showing up to the page. We are not worried about form or function or spelling or if it looks good or if it looks pretty or if it's Instagram worthy. We are just writing and writing and writing and writing and paying attention to how we feel, how our body feels and what's coming up on the page and then not shying away from it when it's there because those messages that we're getting from our reading and our writing are purposeful. We need them. The universe knows we need them. You know you need them. And so showing up to the page in either form, in a book or a notebook, is essential because step three is listening to what you're learning and taking inspired action. That is the key 
piece. And we don't always do this in our reading life, right? Sometimes we just read a book, we close it, and we move on. We write a journal entry and we close it. We track it in our habit tracker and we move on. But in restorative reading and writing, we don't move on quite so fast. What we do after we read and write matters. We live in the margins for a bit. Isn't that such a cool phrase? We live in the margins for a bit. Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, if we're living in the margins of our reading, we're sitting with it. We're not just closing the book and moving on to the next one. We're marinating a bit. We're revisiting those compelling quotes that maybe we highlighted or put a bookmark in, a sticky note in, or a book dart, and we're thinking about them. Maybe we're even bringing them to our notebook or putting them in a special quote notebook or a book journal. We think about, after we close the book, the lessons the book could teach us. Whether we know we need them or not, what might the author have been trying to accomplish? What lessons could we learn from that character that could help us think about our life a little bit differently? And then in general, just what connections could you make in order to make life better? I've talked about The Magic of Lemon Drop Pie by Rachel Linden on this podcast before because it's spectacular, right? And as I read that, I was thinking, oh my gosh, this is me. What would I do? How could I do that? What would my life mantra be? And when I closed that book, I wrote down the quotes that spoke to me in my quote notebook. I even went out and baked my first gluten-free lemon meringue pie. I went out and bought edible flower seed starter kits and I started growing edible flowers. I was all set to go to the lavender farm to visit it, but unfortunately it closed the day before I arrived there. The idea is that the book inspired me to take action in my life. No, it wasn't in relation to a health crisis or a big challenge. It just made life more fun. I made pie. I grew edible flowers, right? I don't do those kinds of things, but I did as a result of the book. Now, in your writing, it definitely looks a little bit different. In writing, that inspired action, taking the time to listen, that means you need to just be with the page a bit. Living in the margins of your notebooks means not turning the page after your morning pages, closing the book, and then running off to start your crazy day. It means sitting there for a minute. Just sitting, just thinking, thinking about how you feel, what your emotions are, how your physical body feels, and why it might feel that way. It's taking a minute to look back on the writing you wrote. And maybe if you do this kind of thing, going back to your previous journal entries and looking for any themes or lessons that you can take forward with you into the rest of the day. The notebook is a place to ground ourselves. But if we don't stay there long enough and really listen to what's coming up on the page in between the lines and in the margins, we might not have those seeds of ideas planted to make life better the rest of the day or the day after. Now, does this all happen with every book, every notebook entry, every day? No, of course not. But if you look for it, it will happen more than you think. So if we think about this idea of restorative reading and restorative writing, let's recap. It's a special kind of reading and writing 
to help restore us into whatever state of restoration we want to be at. First, we pay attention to our rituals and our routines to give ourselves the time and the space and the clues for our nervous system to decompress. Then we set our intentions. We create personal book apothecaries and notebook apothecaries so that we are getting out of our reading and writing life exactly what we need or want. And then we live in the margins for a bit and we sit with it and we decide what the lessons are, what the take forwards are, what inspired action we might take as a result of the reading and writing that day or that week, that month, etc. So basically, you can transform your life through reading and writing. You can. You can think of it as a reading and writing life, but it's basically a reading and writing life to make your actual life better. That's the beauty of what restorative reading and writing can do. Now, it can bring pockets of calm to your days, right? It can make you feel good in the moment, and it doesn't take much. You can go to the library and get a free book. You can go to the dollar store and grab a cheap notebook and pencil. It doesn't take a lot to make this happen. You don't need anything other than you, the book, and the notebook. And if you do this in isolation, just once, you're going to feel better in the moment. But if you do this with consistency, reading and writing will actually lead you to a better life. That, that is the power. That is the magic that I love. That is what I think we all need to know about. I mean, picture this with me for a minute. Come come into my, my little dream world. Can you imagine uh, a space, uh, a beautiful studio? Maybe you're imagining a beautiful yoga studio or a beautiful outdoor retreat or a beautiful section of the library or your favorite coffee shop, whatever the place is for you. Can you imagine if we came together to read and write in community? That we started with a couple of deep breaths and lighting a couple of candles and just letting ourselves relax into the moment. And then we read. We read and we write and we write and then we read and then we write, right? Whatever it is we're reading is picked just for us. The journaling that we're doing is just for us. And we let our bodies calm down and decompress. And then we talk about it. What are the lessons we're taking away? What inspired action might you do as a result of today's session? And then you have this wonderful accountability community of people that might be able to help you do that or at least check in with you so that you remember to follow through on showing up for yourself. That that is my dream. That is my dream to do that in person. It is my dream to do it in a retreat setting, in a yoga studio, in a virtual Zoom space that we can recreate to feel just like that. Huh. That's where I'm heading, people. That's where I want to go with these ideas. So I need to know what you think. I want to know what you think. What are your thoughts around restorative reading and writing? What are your reactions to the kinds of things that I'm talking about today? And number one, what are your questions? What do you want to know more about? I am working to develop this idea more deeply. And the only way ideas grow is when you share them and other people 
contribute. So please tell me your thoughts, your reactions, your questions. Tell me all the things. You can send me your thoughts on social media at Affinito Lit on all of your favorite platforms. You can head to the show notes at alitlife.com and put in the comments into this episode's show notes. Or if you click on the episode in your favorite podcast platform, you'll see an option to just click a button and leave me an audio message to send me your thoughts right now in the moment. And here's what else I need to know about. Would you want help or ideas or support in doing this kind of work in your own life? And if you do, what would it be? Do you want to learn more about creating personal book apothecaries? Do you want someone to create a special journal apothecary for you? Would you be interested in attending a live or in-person session like the one I just dreamed about? I want to know about that too. I want to know what inspires you, what you're thinking about, and I want to bring you into my restorative reading and writing world with me. I'm going to keep going on this line of research, on this line of practice, because I know how much it's helping me, and I know it can help everyone else too. So please be sure to send me your thoughts. I can't wait to see what you think. So thanks so much. Thanks so much for being here, for being part of this podcast, for listening to me talk for quite some time about a topic that is just so very close to my heart. I appreciate it. I appreciate you. And I can't wait to see and hear what you think. So happy reading and writing, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Get Literate Podcast. You'll find links to all the books, resources, and ideas mentioned in the show notes and at alitlife.com. Plus, if you want more, you might like to join my Patreon community. There, you'll find additional inspiration for your reading and writing life, like bonus podcast episodes, bibliotherapy book calendars, monthly book clubs, notebooking challenges, live events, giveaways, and much, much more. It's only $5 a month, and you get instant access to all of the previous content, too. You can learn more at getliterate.co. And one more thing. If you love what you listen to today, please take a moment to rate and review the podcast or take a screenshot of the episode and text it to a friend. This helps the podcast grow and builds our bookish and notebookish community too. Thanks for listening.